You pulling me away. Not him. Music bitch, one and more. No, 101 and more. Brave New Radio. Dr. Stephen Marconi, how are you today? All I hear is filth. That's all you want to hear is Philp. I don't Philp. hear me. I don't hear the... Oh, Professor Philp. Bed. David Kirk Philp on Brave Nothing. New Radio. 88.7 FM. On this blustery... Very cold, early March Eve. Yes. What is the temperature right now? Snitch. I would say 18. 18 degrees? Yes. When it gets to 19 south. Feels like... 400 Four. <laughs> Yes, very cold. Uh, so this is Brave New Radio. Music is 101 and more. I'm your professor, David Kirkhope. That was Dr. Esteban Marconi. Our engineer tonight, Dr. Ashley Weltner. Hello, yes, Dr. Ashley yes, Weltner. Yes, Making yes, it yes, happen. Yes, yes. She's the board doctor, the doctor of the 20. board, the doctor of those who need board in your, their lives because they're not excited. Oh, we also have a student with us tonight. Yes, we do. Dr. Teresa Abu Dao. How do you say it? Dao. Abu Daoud. Yeah. Did I did I go over pronounce the Daoud? A little bit, but it's okay. Yeah, okay. Say it again. Abu Daoud. Abu Daoud. First one on the class That's list. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When you get your class list, she's the first well, one. Teresa exactly. is a freshman here. Yes. At William Patterson University, and she's one of the best freshmen of yeah. the year. Wow. At the University of William Patterson. Where are you from? I'm from Westwood. What's your major? Uh, pop, and then my minor is music. Music and Entertainment Industries minor. Yes. One of the best in the country, I hear. Of course. Could be. Yeah. 2018. Yeah, definitely for 2018. Right. Let's let's see what happens for 20 and the 19. Thanks to Professor David Kirk Philp. And Dr. Esteban Marconi. Yes. How long have you been running this program? Very little help from our friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's been been all you. Um, But this is your 30, what is this? I don't know. I came in 84. This is your 35th year of helming the program. Wow. Came wow. in 84, and I think the program, well, I um, revised the program. Mm-hmm. I inherited the program, then I revised it in 85, I believe. Okay. So it's been, yes. All right. It's, it's been quite a while. Quite a while. And uh, you've run it quite well, so it's doing well. Should we give some thanks besides thanks to you? Thank you. Let's give the, get it. And give thanks to the folks at Van Nuyen, Bruno Wink, and White Hat Management. They're very busy right now. Very busy during tax, tax season. season. That's very it. Busy. That's where the CPA part comes into the mm-hmm. web address. But we're not there yet because with ours like Dave Matthews, three doors down, St. Vincent and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA. Dot com when you're ready. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan out for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a call at, repeat after me, Teresa Aboud Dao. <laughs> butchered. I'm a butcher tonight. I'm not a radio jock. I'm a butcher. Give me the cleaver for the meat because I'm a butcher. Yes. Repeat after me. 732. 732. 455. 10. You don't have to read it when I'm saying repeat after me. I'm just me. making sure I don't mess up. How would you mess up? If you're listening to me, know. you won't mess up. Trust me, for heaven's sake. Then you can email her, Christine at Oy. theywealth.com for advisement.
Please leave the last story off for safety. That's all we'd ever ask of you. Managing Your Band 6th Edition is out. Yes, and where can you get it? Certainly not where you used to be able to get it, but you can still get it if you'd like at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble. And blank. Those are the two best places to get it. That's right. the third place? Uh, you can get it on Kindle, which is through, what is that a Barnes & Noble thing, or is that an yes. Amazon? Okay, very good. No, it's an Amazon thing. It is Amazon, okay. Yes. We already talked about how awesome we are, and we're talking about this is the fifth year of the show. This is episode number 10,488. <laughs> I don't know how many we've done. Yes. We've done a bunch of episodes. And um, it would be great if our guest called in, but I don't think she's going to call in because I don't think Marcy Allen of Mac Presents cares enough to call in tonight. She's in, isn't she? Marcy. All right, Marcy all Allen, right. you did call him just as we were going to diss you and shade you and do all those Play reruns. words. There you are. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm for... even in the back of a taxi cab and I'm calling in. Are wow. you? Really? God. That, that's, really pretty, that's pretty cool. That's, well, it's very 20th century because you could be in an Uber or a Lyft. <laughs> that's right. Now, we must apologize for moving you from it is okay. three weeks ago, was it? It was two weeks ago. It snowed. The station was closed the, down. The university was closed. We yes. weren't allowed yes. to uh, come in. Right. But it was, it was nice of you to be, move and be flexible and then be here with us tonight. So we thank yes. you. Well, Great. I'm very excited. <laughs> you, don't, right. you don't sound like you're in a taxi cab. You sound like you're right next door. Well, good. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. 5G. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, Do- Dr. Stephen Marconi, uh, Marcy, Dr. Steve Marconi, he is uh, the man. He's been running our program for 35 years. Wow. Long time, but which is funny because he's only 40 years old. That's right. So he started very young. He's a prodigy, and he loved prodigy. And we should bring up uh, prodigy. Um, their lead singer, Keith, I don't remember his last name, passed away yes. the other day. I saw that uh, yesterday. That's right. Did you hear that, Marcy? Yes, and I was so sad because I saw him perform at RFK Stadium, wow. HFS, HFS Festival, when I worked at uh, Cellar Door Concerts Live Nation back in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Ah, so wow. I was side stage. I will never forget it. One of the most action-packed shows I've ever seen. Great. So, yes, I was, I was very upset when, when I heard that news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading a post on Instagram, uh, our friend Ben Weinman, who was in Dillinger Escape Plan, and he's Kimber's manager now. And um, I think he was on the road with them a year or so ago in Europe. And um, he he was posting about, we had him on the air right about a year or so ago after um, lead singer Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, right after Chris Cornell had had, had committed suicide. Um, This was a suicide. And Ben um, wrote a really great post on Instagram the other day about um, mental illness and depression among artists and musicians. Mm -hmm. And we all assume that everybody is wonderful and happy because they're Mm -hmm. all happy and looking great on Instagram, but in fact, it, it is something that many people have to deal with and sure. they should read, understand Read that. Bruce's book. Yeah, Springsteen's Born sure. to Run. He went through it too, goes through it. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that it's it's now top of conversation with people because mm-hmm. hopefully now people won't try to keep it a secret and they will speak out if they need help and, and get what they need. Right. Yeah. Really and should. more and more we can emphasize that it's a disease, not some sort of Absolutely. a, you know, fallacy. Um, Something in their psychological makeup or whatever. So, and there's nothing to be ashamed about asking for help. Absolutely. Ever. So, Marcy, why don't you, since we've been talking here, 
Why don't you tell the listening audience what you do? Well, thank you. Um, I've been in the industry now. This is my 25th year, which is crazy. Mm. (laughs) Started off um, working in Washington, D.C., like I just said, as an intern at uh, Cellar Tour Concerts Live Nation and then became director of marketing and uh, then went on and had quite quite a path to where I am now and 10 years ago moved up to New York City. Um, started this agency, uh, Mac Presents, 15 years ago. It's a music experiential agency, and we work on behalf of brands to develop 360-degree programs for them in the music space. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the Rolling Stones or Khalid or Billy Joel and brands like Citibank and AT&T and um, Uber, um, we work with them to make sure their goals are met and just absolutely love doing it. We have a team of 10 people in Flatiron here in New York. We're 90% women, and we're just kind of cranking right along. Great. And I'm happy to wake up every day. (laughs) Great. Great. So I was uh, on Epic Records in the early 70s with a a band called Jam Factory that didn't make it, of course. But uh, in those days, and I was uh, an opening act from everyone from the Grateful Dead to late Jimi Hendrix and so on. And there was, I guess it was the hippies and it was the counterculture, but no one wanted to be branded. No one wanted to have a ton of merch. It was all that was either jumping the shark or, or selling out. I I recall, I guess, and people talk about uh, Frampton Live as probably the, the first real uh, merch and branding that went on but i i sort of remember i think uh jovan with the rolling stones in their early 80s that was the first brand partnership you were yeah, absolutely that's, right so so tell us a little bit about that not that you did it but i mean did no, that, did I that, set, I was... <laughs> that i mean if the rolling stones did it then i guess you got the seal of approval that now it was hip and you could could do this well i just think that artists are always looking for additional revenue streams. They didn't want to solely rely on merchandise or ticket sales or, you know, back then album sales. Mm-hmm. You know, now the two biggest revenue streams for artists are streaming and uh, touring. And, you know, when I started this agency 15 years ago, brand partnerships, according to IEG sponsorship report, were mm-hmm. $550 million. Mm-hmm. This year, it'll surpass $1.65 billion. Yeah. There's not a lot in the music industry that's tripled in value over the past 15 years, obviously minus streaming, but that's you know a bit of an anomaly. Right. Right. So I, I think that artists realize that they can do partnerships that are authentic with brands and creative, and it's not just slap a logo here or hold this product and say that you use it so new... Co- your fans and new potential consumers, you know, will purchase the product. Yeah, looking historically too, it was uh, it amazed me that I I think it was Paul McCartney did a Meritrade or somebody did that. And the, why I bring that up is because now we're talking about conservative side, you know, not it's not Pepsi, it's not beer, but we're going all the way over to the financial area and getting branding and and uh, obviously sponsorship from that. No, absolutely. And I, I don't believe it was a marriage. I think that was with the Rolling Stones. Okay. Most of the deals that Paul McCartney has done, I believe he did Hewlett Packard. He did Lexus. He's done American Express. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he definitely 
made sure that that there was always that you know connection and that you know story. It, you know, people say, "What do you do?" And at the heart of it, we're storytellers, mm-hmm. and we work with brands to find the right artist or the right program or the right property and figure out all the different touch points to bring that partnership to life. Experiential marketing is is one of the hottest trends right now. Mm-hmm. And so we're at the center of that. So not only do we close a deal on behalf of a brand with an artist or a festival or whatever it is, but then we also do all of the activation and bring that alive. Mm-hmm. Technology plays a huge part in it now. So it's like brand partnerships have completely changed since I first started in this industry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now we kind of sit at the vortex of, you know, Madison Avenue, the music industry. And now we're really seeing more and more um, sports and music deals happen. And so that's something that we're starting to venture in. And I really think that's the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's always the the idea that uh, if you get sponsorship, you really didn't need it because the sponsor wanted to hook up with you. And the DIY or the young band who needs it can never find a sponsor. Can you recall like the the earliest in the in the um, you know the band's history that you were able to get a, spo- a sponsor or or some sort of branding? Absolutely. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, it was uh, 2006 or seven. Uh, I was working with Lady Annabellum, mm-hmm. and we did a deal with Britta. They were on tour with Kenny Chesney. And they had just really kind of started to pop. Mm-hmm. And I think they had maybe one single that they had serviced to radio at the time. But Britta really wanted to um, work with an artist that was willing to commit to going uh, bottled water free on their summer tour. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did with Lady Annabelle. And it was a fantastic partnership. Britta was happy. Lady A was happy. They were able to get some dollars to help them subsidize, you know, their touring costs for that summer. And, you know, I think there's sometimes a misconception that we only work with artists, you know, that are established, you know, whether it's Billy Joel or Khalid. But, I mean, we started working with Khalid, gosh, right when American Teen dropped. So that was uh, mm-hmm. spring of uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do the deals usually work on uh, basically the same like a merch deal you – have to guarantee you're going to play in front of X amount of people on a tour uh, well, to get the advance or, or what? No, I don't really do tour sponsorships anymore. I feel that tour sponsorships are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of brands that activate as an additional touch point on tour, but we don't just go out and, hey, the traditional tour sponsorships were give me a certain amount of money, wrap the bus, let a, let's run a commercial on uh, the screen, stage left and stage right. Let's let us have banners around mm-hmm. um, the, the venue. Let's get a couple meet and greets and some comp tickets. Those days are gone. Now, if it's a fully integrated partnership between the brand and the artist and the artist has a tour and they're just using that to leverage, you know, the existing partnership, then that's something different. Mm-hmm. So really now what brands want is they sit down, they want content. Content is king. So they want to be able to get a behind the scenes or life on the road or Mm. the making of an album or whatever it may be that the artist is working on at that time, whether they're launching a a new tour, a new album, a new philanthropic endeavor. 
And so content is probably single-handedly the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Then after that, it's social media. But artists are becoming more and more protective. You know, very few artists, especially established ones, established ones want to do a static post on Instagram. You know, they have no problem maybe doing a, a retweet on Twitter or a post on Facebook or maybe an Insta story that disappears in 24 hours. But artists are becoming very protective of their Instagram because that's really how they're crafting their creativity and their brand because an artist is a brand as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in a way then it's almost flipping back slightly, at least in terms of, it's almost, I don't know if that's, that's irony or not, but we didn't have social media when we just started this little conversation uh, Steve was talking about in 71, 72, when bands, you know, in the early 70s were not into this, they're selling out. And then it went full throttle the opposite way. And now you're saying, at least on the social media end, it seems that bands are, uh, or certain artists are holding back a little bit because they don't want to go too far. Is that sort of what you're seeing or am I off? It is, but I will tell you that there are more and more brand partnerships happening. It just has to be something that the artist feels comfortable with. You know, I don't, people always say, so are you working on behalf of the brands or are you working on behalf of the artists? I'm working on behalf of the deal because if both sides are not happy, there is no deal. So it's just that every day the brand partnership world, especially in the music space, is, is evolving. And the deals are getting sometimes more difficult, sometimes more, you know, doing things that have never been done before. Because we hear that all the time from brands. Bring me something that's never been done. Mm-hmm. How do I work with an artist in a way that is unlike anything that's ever been executed? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're challenged with. You know, we spend so much of our time um, at Mac Presents just brainstorming, brainstorming on different things that we can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's the... What's the not? I wouldn't say weirdest, but what's the the most far out association that you can recall that that you did? That I did. Yeah, brand mm. with artists. Let's see. We'll, we'll define what you mean when you say far well, out. Well, will you ever? <laughs> yeah, will you ever like talked into something? You would say this brand would come in and say, let's say they want Elvis. I'm just making this up, and then you go, that's that would never work. It's too. It's just, it's not right. And then you get talked into it and it actually happens and it's good. That's not something I want to comment on. I I don't want to comment on a deal that I don't think was right. And then ended up um, being fantastic. You know, I think that there are numerous deals that I have walked away from Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel that they were a, a good fit. And I felt that in the end, the brand wasn't going to be happy or the artist wasn't going to be happy. There's been, you know, I've done hundreds of deals. Right. Um, now, but I, I think that you have to know when to walk away. I mean, you can't really negotiate unless you're willing to walk away. Right. And there's a lot of brands that call and they'll say, I need 18 social posts over 12 months and I need three performances and I need two production days. And the fee is what an artist makes on one show. Mm-hmm. So I think brands know that artists really want brand partnerships. And so as a result, sometimes they come in with very over the top requests Mm -hmm. and we have to kind of bring them back down to reality to say, listen, this has got to benefit both parties. So let's readdress this. And if not, then let's just, you know, part as friends. Yeah. 
And I, I think what I was trying to say was um, even if you walked away and they, they did it with someone else, were you ever surprised that it actually worked? I can't say that I've walked away from something because I didn't think it was going to work. And then they did it with someone else and it worked. Mm -hmm. I've seen it fail miserably. And I was really mm -hmm. glad that I wasn't. Ah. All right. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you did mention that the traditional sponsorship, those days are gone. The what what happened? Yeah. What, yeah. What, traditional what tour sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a difference. Yeah. Traditional tour sponsorships are now leveraged as a different activation point for the brand and their overarching partnership with the artist. So I'm just saying that typically 10 years ago, that was what you went and sold to a brand. Mm -hmm. You would pick up the phone and say, are you interested in sponsoring so-and-so's tour? Now it's, hey, let's do a partnership with this artist that has all these different ways that you can activate of which one might be on tour um, on their upcoming tour. Mm -hmm. So it's just the evolution of the whole process and concept has, has just evolved. It's completely changed. Yeah. Yeah, I've used, I, re I remember the first, um, not necessarily associated with one product, but when Justin Timberlake went with McDonald's yep. and it was, he went with <laughs> McDonald's, not the whatever in a Whopper. No, that's the other wrong one. Not the, um, <laughs> Big, Big Mac, Mac or whatever, right. you know what I mean? And, and he would appear with different products actually on the TV ads. And I thought that was great. And now, you know, he was, he, he picked McDonald's on McDonald's, but him, whatever, but he was associating himself with the, the total brand rather than just one product, whether it be a lipstick or Pepsi, you know, uh, diet Pepsi or something like that. Well, and I love what Justin's done over the years. You know, he's very selective. I respect him as an artist. I expect him, respect him as a marketer. I mean, he's done deals with Anheuser-Busch. He's done deals with American Express. Mm -hmm. uh, he's done deals with Verizon. He's done a lot of deals, but they've all been organic and authentic. And I think that's what really sets him apart. You know, he's not out there doing a money grab at all. He's out there being very methodical about brands that he partners with and, you know, making sure that whatever story they're trying to tell and how the partnership's going to be brought to life that it stays true to his brand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Now the uh, the days, I guess, of Coke, the cola wars are over. Between uh, oh, I don't think that at all. I mean, I think that I don't know if I would call it a war. Well, you know, I'm talking about those, th those days when it was Christine Aguilera versus um, what's her name, Britney Spears. Britney, yeah. you know, and then um, Ray Charles doing uh huh. And Whitney Houston doing Coke. And I used to go to the class and I'd say, okay, Coke or Pepsi? And I would say, uh-huh. And then they would go, <laughs> Pepsi, are you sure? And then everybody would, you know, have to think. And I said, see, are they really working? Because, you know, because people are stopping and second-guessing whether it is Coke or Pepsi. Because those two products are so close and so identical. Yeah, and I think, too, that one of the things that's, you know, fascinating is you look, I mean, look at the Pepsi Cardi B Super Bowl spot. Mm. I mean, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if we did a deal um, last year in 2000, summer of 2018 with Sprite and Made in Tokyo. Mm. And, you know, you're still seeing a lot of deals come out of uh, Coke and Dr. Pepper and Pepsi and, and that's good for the industry. You know, people say, 
oh, wow, I can't believe so many insurance companies or financial companies are getting involved in music. And that's fantastic because traditional advertising dollars, which have, have been spent on television spots, are now being shifted over to more experiential marketing. That how mm. can the brand do one-on-one marketing with a consumer? And that's through music and that's through experiential marketing. Mm-hmm. So I love seeing all these deals. You know, every time I turn around, there's another be- a deal being announced. You know, am I jealous? Maybe a little because <laughs> I'm competitive. <laughs> all right. And I want to be a part of all the biggest deals out there. But I love it. I mean, there's a there's a handful of us that do these deals on a daily basis in the industry. And I drop them a note. Congratulations. Unbelievable. So whether it's Lori Feldman mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers who did the Michael Buble um, oh, yeah. uh, bubbly deal. That was, very that good. was fantastic. Yeah. You know, she just did the um, BB Rexa Lays deal mm. that ran during The Voice this week. You yeah. know, we all cheer one another. And they send me a note. Oh, my gosh. saw that you did Billy Joel with you know, city at Madison Square Garden, way to go. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's about. It's it's camaraderie and it's support um, from our peers in the industry. Right. Now, is Bruce still a holdout? <laughs> oh, I would love to do a deal with him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the answer um, he is has, yes. <laughs> he, I have not known him to do a brand deal, but I don't ever want to say never. Mm-hmm. I learned that a long time ago. Um, but I would love to do a deal with him. Yeah, sure. sure. Can, can we? Why don't we take a step back and talk about just the deal itself, making a deal happen? Can you kind of explain from both sides? And it, I guess it's actually three sides because there's the artist side, there's the brand, and then there's you. What goes into it? Who who will approach whom? And how do you bring parties together? Can you kind of go through that type? Absolutely. Well, first of all, deals come from all kinds of crazy places. I work with managers. I work with record labels. I work with uh, brands direct. And usually what happens is either a brand will come to me with a brief and they'll say, we're launching this new product or we have a new campaign coming out. Um, We're going after soccer moms or Gen Z or or, uh, millennials and we need going after LBGTQ community or we're going after uh, diverse music fans. You know, they come to me with a brief. That's what we start with. Then from there, my team and I sit down and we brainstorm on what do we think is the best opportunity that we can pitch them? Because again, it's not just an individual artist. Sometimes, sometimes it's a music festival. Sometimes it's um, a property, like we work with the ACM Awards. You know, sometimes it's an awards show. Sometimes it's a venue. We work with King Theater in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So we identify what that is, and then we come up. I always say I like to put together a list of potential deliverables. And I'll, sh- you know, go back and forth with the brand of, okay, here's what I think you should ask for within your budget. And then after we've identified the property or the artist that we want to go talk to, Then we reach out to the manager and we go over everything and we say, you know, is this something that you're interested in? Because we don't want to go get a firm offer if they're not interested. And they say yes or no. You know what? We'd love to see an offer. And that's what most managers say. Like, bring me an offer. And we make sure because you have to be careful that the offers aren't insulting. You don't want them to be too low, but then also you don't want to overpay. So it's just like making sure that you know the marketplace. And it's very important whenever we're talking to a brand to try to get them not to set their sights on only one artist or one festival. 
is very important because you have to be able to negotiate. And if the manager or the promoter or whoever it is that you're dealing with realizes like, wait a second, I can tell that Marcy has to get this deal done. That's a problem. And it puts them into a position of power. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're going in saying, well, we're looking at a lot of different artists and would love to make this work with, with your client, but if not totally understand and let's work together again in the future. And then from there, we submit a firm offer to the manager. And then after that, I always say, that's 10% of the deal. Literally, once you get the deal done, you still have 90% of the deal left. And that's when you have to bring the partnership to life. And that's what we do. And mm-hmm. we sit down and we figure out what all are we going to do? Is there content? Is there PR? You know, is there a pop-up event? You know, is there a listening party if they have a new album coming out? You know, what can we do? Is, is there a sync deal that we can do um, with a track off the album and an upcoming uh, commercial campaign. Mm-hmm. So we figure all that, and then we handle all of that in-house at Mac. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then executing the deal is that you guys, or is it? Are you guys giving, for example, the man? If the artist has to do ten things within a certain period of time, is that you constantly telling the manager, "Don't forget today, you, he has to do this tomorrow." He has to do this. <laughs> is it a yeah. little bit of all, all of that to keep them to make sure yeah. they do it? Obviously, the, the manager the is the one that communicates with the artist. Right. We're not calling artists going, don't forget you have to post this today. <laughs> but we are absolutely going to the managers with an overview of here are all the deliverables that are outstanding. And here's, you know, a, a upcoming schedule of when they're due. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're the ones that manage that and are the liaison between the manager and the brand. Okay. Now, from the artist side, are you uh, a fan of a shorter deal? than to renegotiate or a long-term deal? Well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I'm seeing more and more deals start to come in that are just quick one and done, like mm. that three-month term. You wow. used to only see 12-month-long deals, and I think now it's that there's so much content out there for consumers. It's very difficult to break through. You have to break through in a meaningful way. So brands realize they can't have the same messaging out for 12 months. So if they're going to go deal with an artist, it, that might have run its course after three months, maybe mm-hmm. six months. And then they're moving on to something else, whether it's an athlete, you know, whether it's something in fashion, culinary, you know, technology. There's so much information out there. And brands are just having to be a lot more savvy marketers. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, most of the deals that I've been doing recently are only, you know, 30 to 90 days. Mm-hmm. Now, is that, uh, is the term in the brief when you get it? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because you have a term, you have a territory. Is it U.S.? Is it global? Right. right. You know, the, the big um, deliverable um, that you have to negotiate out is the exclusivity. So, you know, for instance, if you're doing a deal with American Express, is it banking? Is it credit card? Is it all financial services? You know, those are things that you have to do because especially with fashion, which is so big right now, is it head to toe fashion? Is it just shoes? Is it luxury wear? Is it athletic wear? There's Mm -hmm. so many different categories. So you want to be real careful not to cut an artist out of both shoes and athletic wear and luxury wear, unless it's a massive deal. And especially if it's a 12 month long term. Mm -hmm. Now, does the artist ask for exclusivity? Yes, I'm trying to say it. Do they ask for that, uh, you know, with when a brand? No, the artist wants everything to remain neutral. They want to be able to work with as many brands yeah, as possible. Yeah, I guess. 
but the brands don't want to create any sort of consumer confusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would it be, how about category exclusivity? So uh, an artist can't work with three different car companies. Exactly. Yes. Okay. They cannot. Mm-hmm. Right. The exclusivity term would be throughout. So like if it's a 12-month term, mm-hmm. the exclusivity would be for the, during that 12-month term. And sometimes there's a 30 or 60 or 90-day runoff period. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Um, now, going back to, to what you do, so you're working with an artist and the artist uh, gives you ideas or you, you want to work with that, wh- wh- whether it's a property or a festival. And then you think, I, you know, this would be great with, with Michaels or Target or some brand or retailer or something. Um, but you have no connections there. What are you doing? What is the research you're doing? What's your outreach to find the right person to speak with to cut the deal? LinkedIn is my best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just, you know what? You can go and you can go to any company that you want to research. And typically press releases are on um, their website about different initiatives that they had. And within that, there are executives, C-suite, mm-hmm. um, brand managers, CMOs, VP of marketing, and their names are listed in those press releases. And then I would go to LinkedIn, figure out, you know, where they are, send them a message through LinkedIn or just send them an email and say, and every one of my emails that goes to a brand is very well thought out. It's not, oh, hey, here's a list of all the artists or properties that I'm working with. It's, hey, I was recently reading this article about how you're going after a very specific demographic and I would love to help you. And here's my three ideas. Let me know if you're available to jump on the phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has to be a thoughtful email and you have to research. You know, because, you know, knowledge is power. And so when you are reaching out to someone, you can't say, oh, tell me about what your initiatives are. You need to know. Now, if you've shown them that you've done the research and then maybe you've missed a couple things and they say, well, actually, we're looking for something Q4 this year, not summer, then that's fine. You can pivot and then say, "Okay, well, you know what? That changes who I'm going to pitch to you because that particular artist isn't touring during that time period. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. And then there are brands like City, for example, who you've done a lot of work with. Are you just constantly speaking with the decision makers there and always learning what they're doing and just keeping up with them and keeping up that relationship so that when opportunities arise on both ends, you uh, are available and can come up with something? Well, it's really about, I mean, I love working with City, but it's really about all the brands that we work with. And it's it's funny because I tell people all the time, we do so much cold calling. You know, if there's a brand that we think is a great fit with an artist or with a property or an award show that we're working with, we will just cold call. And so it's not necessarily about upkeeping and managing all the existing brand clients. They know about us. We've worked with them. We've done gosh, I don't even know, 50 programs with City over the past seven years. I love working with them. And if I think that there's something to fit, I bring it to them. But I'm also cold calling because we, there's, it's such an exciting time right now in the branding space, in the music industry, because so many brands that have never stuck their toe in in the music space now want to because they understand the power of music. So we want to constantly be reaching out to huge brands in the advertising space but not really brands that are doing a lot in music because we're experts in the music space and we want to be able to help brands, you know, bring their vision to life. Hmm. 
How do they determine their ROI? Is that a case-by-case basis? Absolutely. It depends on the brand. Sometimes it's based on PR impressions. Mm. Sometimes it base, is based on social media impressions. Sometimes it's based in a list in sales. So if they say, okay, during this post period of this, you know, th- three-month, 90-day term, we saw a lift in sales 11% year over year. And the only thing different that we did was this brand partnership with this artist or this mm. property. Interesting. Okay. Um, now, one of the reasons why we're actually talking today is I had written something um, on our website, musicbiz101wp.com, about the Billboard Power 100. And um, I put my two cents in as to what the real uh, top 100 should be because I felt that it did not include enough of the people from the live category. It was really very heavily male-driven, first of all, of the top 10. I think there was one female in the top 10, and that was Julie Greenwald um, from Atlantic. Um, Besides that, it was very heavily skewed toward uh, recorded music Mm -hmm. and not enough toward the live um, side. But on the other hand, um, you tweeted back to me because um, they made a, a comment at the very beginning that they specifically did not include for whatever reason, brands like American Express and City this year, and then they mentioned Mac Presents. Um, meanwhile, you've been on the list in the past. So why do you think they made that decision? Well, I can't really comment on why they made the decision. That's something you would need to ask Billboard. You know, mm-hmm. I was only on the Billboard um, Power 100 list the previous year, so mm-hmm. 2018. So it's not that I had been, I think there was some people who thought I had been on the list for years and I hadn't, I'd only been on it once. Um, I think that, you know, as to why they made that decision, that's something you would have to talk to Billboard. The only thing I can say about it is, and obviously you saw my tweet, is that I was upset. You know, it was mm-hmm. definitely a punch in the gut. I think that brands play a pivotal role in the music industry and are absolutely core to it. And it's one of the first thoughts that a manager or a record label or a business manager or an attorney has when they're sitting down to plot a a campaign launch for an artist, again, whether it's a tour or an album or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it's what brands can we partner with and how can one plus one equal a hundred. Sure. And, you know, so that's why I was upset and then I wasn't going to say anything. And then I just kept receiving emails um, from people. And, and really it was, I guess I would say the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I've, I've been an adjunct professor at NYU Steinhardt since 2013. And my class said to me, you know, cause my class is on branding <laughs> mm-hmm. said, you know, what, what do you think about that professor Allen? Like, what are your thoughts? That was so shocking because, you know, billboard is, is a leader, um, in the music industry and, and people really believe what they read. And is, is that really what's going on that brands now are not a big deal in the music industry? And obviously I completely disagree with that notion. And I think that, that brands are playing a bigger role than ever. Obviously the most important piece of this puzzle is the artist. So we're not taking away from anything like that, but it just, it was just pretty much a, a, a punch in the gut. Mm. And um, I've been very vocal okay. about how I felt. And I think my response, if I remember correctly, was I have 1.6 billion reasons why I disagree. Yeah, right. that, that was it. All right. Now, when you were on it last year, did that, in terms of ROI being on a list like that, did you see that it helped business? Do you think it did? We 
don't really, I mean, when a brand calls me or when we do a deal, I don't say to them, I've been doing this for 25 years. So I don't say, why are you working with Mac Presents? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's about being, having all the research and knowledge when you get on the phone with that brand or with that artist manager and saying, this is why it's a good fit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I have calls coming in weekly from managers saying, can we please can we please work together? Cause we really need someone that's going to focus on us. You know, it's not about just sending out a roster. It's about figuring out how can I focus on this handful of artists or these handful of brands and really do a fantastic job for them. So that's, what's important to us. And I think that's really what sets us apart because we're not simply transactional in deals. We don't just cut the deal issue the paper and say, good luck over the next three to six months in this deal Call me if you ever want to renew. We're we're in it, knee deep, you know, with our sleeves rolled up on a daily basis in all of these deals. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. By the way, I sense you're not in a taxi anymore. I am back at my apartment. That is so. Oh. <laughs> that is very very cool. Um, we have Teresa with us, who's a student here in our program, and she has a tweet question that she would like to read to you, if she may. Sure. Jade wants to know, how can DIY artists get endorsements and sponsors to help fund their tours and recording and things like that? I get that question all the time. (laughs) The best advice that I can give an artist that's first, you know, kind of setting out on, on their career path is to build your story, whatever that may be. If your story is, if you're a New York artist and you're building your story in New York, figure out how are you going to connect with your fans? How are you going to engage with them on a daily or weekly basis through social media, through content? How are you going to bring value to them and then go city by city? You know, I'm not a booking agent, so I'm not out there saying this is how you build your fan base, but I'm a storyteller and I work with brands and absolutely brands want to work with artists that are developing. That's a success story for them. For them to be able to say that they play a role in breaking an artist, that's unbelievable for a brand. Mm-hmm. They want that. And so you just have to figure out what your story is, start to build it, and then reach out to the brands that you feel that you would potentially have synergies with. Or if you read an article that, hey, they're really trying to go after, you know, underground hip hop artists from the East Coast, then you can reach out and say, well, guess what? That's me. I just read this article. Let's set up a conversation. Let's set up and have a, a conversation. Or maybe you can come out to my show that I'm doing, you know, upcoming next week mm-hmm. about building that relationship. It's interesting because we had, I think it was a manager on a few weeks ago, and he wasn't using the term story, but he was using something that I never heard. He said, was it the artist has to build their mission statement? Jordan Chalmers from Atlantic was yeah. on. Oh, that's that. who yeah. it was, yes. And I thought that was, you know, that was, I, I just never heard right. the term mission statement. And you would say that to an artist and they would probably go, what? You know, but it's basically what you're saying. Build your story. Build what you're going to do. Why are you in it? You know, what, what makes you unique? So on. Exactly. And I say that to my students all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we have another tweet for you from uh, Kale. Oh, it's, it's, it's a healthy tweet. I guess so. <laughs> what was the most <laughs> difficult aspect about starting your own agency in the music industry? 
Oh my goodness! Because you've done it twice. You started, then you dropped it all, yeah. came, and then did it again. So, yep. Mad Booking I created in 1999, and we owned music festivals in uh, Memphis, Nashville, Atlanta, and Washington D.C. And then started Mac Presents in 2004. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they said, "How did you do it?" And I said, "Well, here's the deal." When you don't have anything and you're at the bottom, <laughs> there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah. And I've never been afraid of failing. And so I always knew that if it just all went bad, that I could go get a job somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I was willing to double down and bet it all on black, as they say, mm-hmm. because I have the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, even since I was in high school and was booking bands and getting hired, you know, social chair for my college, Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, and book bands in high school at Harper Hall School in Nashville. You know, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know exa- doing exactly what, but I knew that I wanted to work for myself. Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't afraid of failing, I, I've had made some very, very risky moves. Um, you know, moving up to New York now uh, nine years ago, um, in the middle of a snowstorm with my two dogs, <laughs> I wasn't afraid to, to fail in the big city. And it, it worked out. It took me 10 months to get a client. Mm-hmm. But I just put my head down and took as many meetings as I could and built relationships. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there's no deal that's worth a relationship. You know, I really try to protect my relationships relationships fiercely. Mm-hmm. There's another podcast you did that I, I would tell our listeners to listen to. It was uh, you did with Dan Steinberg on Promoter 101. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's a really, I've actually listened to it just on my own like three or four times because you say some great stuff in that. And I've purposely tried not to talk about what you talked about there because that can be uh, complimentary listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would urge this, listeners go to Promoter 101. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcast and type in Marcy Allen, Marcy with an IE, and you will uh, hear a good, it's about a 15 minute podcast. So mm-hmm. um, you did a great well, job on you. that. Yes. Uh, Teresa has a question of her own she would like to ask. So I'm not sure if you know this, but this semester for our music management seminar, we're doing uh, women in music. And I guess with that on my mind, I'm just wondering did you ever have any issues in the industry because you were a woman? Like, did that affect any? sort of way you were treated? Did that affect if people took you seriously or not? Did that affect how you were able to start your business? I think absolutely, but I never let it bother me or get me down. You know, I think that people ask, at what moment did you realize you were successful? And the moment that I realized I was successful was the moment that I could choose who I do business with. So if there's someone in the industry that doesn't treat me with respect or treat me as an equal, I choose to not do business with them. And I'm very careful not to put myself in situations where I'm going to have to deal with people who aren't going to be respectful. You know, it is, it is very difficult being a woman in the industry, but there are absolutely, I have some fantastic mentors who are men. I have, you know, uh, female mentors as well. Marsha Vlasic, who I know was just, um, on the podcast, uh, I think a while ago, right. um, has been a mentor of mine for years. And I call her all the time if, if I need advice or help or I'm feeling down or I'm excited about a deal that I close, even though it doesn't have anything to do with her. You know, she is so supportive of me in everything that I do. And I value that 
so much. Um, but I think that of all the young women who I mentor that are starting out in the business, you know, they'll call me off the record and say, hey, I have this situation at work or my internship or whatever it may be, and I don't really know how to deal with it. And so I try to help them and guide them. But, you know, the advice that I give to everybody is if you don't like the situation that you're in, at your internship, your job, whatever it may be, you have to leave. You have to get out of it. You cannot, it's not going to get any better on its own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Another tweet for you. Veronica wants to know, was there ever a time in your journey where you found yourself stuck in the music industry, not really knowing where to go next? Gosh, every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's just being an entrepreneur. Sometimes if if you have a lull, I don't care if it's a day or a month in in business that, you know, you've closed, you question everything that you're doing. It's just human nature. And that's why I'm saying, you know, when people – think, oh, gosh, it's just everything you've done looks like it's been so easy. Every day has been a challenge for 25 years, but I love it, and that's why I do it. So I don't, when I have those moments of doubt, I have people that I lean on. Some are in the music industry and some are not. I have a big group of girlfriends back in in Nashville, Tennessee, where I split my time between Nashville and New York, and I've had the same friends since high school and I will call them and I will just talk to them about something and they don't even know the players. And then they're like, okay, well, you're overreacting. Or they mm-hmm. say, okay, you know what? That's, that's kind of a weird situation. And let's talk about how you can work through it. So yes, I absolutely find myself sometimes doubting or questioning uh, a, a particular path that I'm taking in the industry, but you work through it and you can't be afraid to pivot. I've pivoted a lot in my career, you know, from being a festival promoter um, to working on behalf of brands to working with artists to building events. You know, you have to be a bit of a chameleon in this industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a, another tweet for you. This is from Perez. As cannabis pro- product companies start to grow, do you suggest targeting them more and bridging them in the music industry? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think when you look at the rise of, well, now with the farm bill passing at the top of the year, uh, you see CBD, you know, which is derived from hemp. Those deals are starting to to be more frequently discussed amongst artist managers. Yes, it's a huge lane for the music industry, and we have to figure out how to, to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking for another tweet. As we do that, um, one thing I believe you were doing listening to that past podcast, and this might kind of go to just, um, I'm not trying to get into your personal life, but more of the juggle of your job of uh, living in New York. Do you still split your time between New York and Nashville? I do. I do week on, week off. So my stepdaughters, who are 11 and 14, um, my husband and I have them every other week. So whenever we have my girls, um, I am home in Nashville and then I'm always back because my NYU class is on Thursday night. So yeah, it's, I live on plane, um, <laughs> but I love my life in New York and I love my life in Nashville and the weekends that we don't have the girls every other weekend. My husband is up here in New York. Mm. And so what does your husband do for a living? He's an entrepreneur. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I know he, uh, remodels houses in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, may I ask you, uh, what do you think your greatest success ever was? 
the Rolling Stones tour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2013 with City. It was, it was highlight of my career, hands down. Mm-hmm. Did you have any opportunity to work with them on this current tour? I did not. No, they they went with a different. They went with uh, American Express. Mm-hmm. But no, I just loved working with them. They were a joy, um, and just loved every minute of it. Now the the story goes, of course, that that Mick is one of the toughest negotiators. Was the deal skewed towards the Rolling Stones more than maybe other acts that you've done business with? I can't comment on that. <laughs> I didn't say any. No figures, nothing. Just, no, just, I just skewed more I'm just going to say way. both sides, City and the Rolling Stones, were very happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. It's still the Stones, so. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. um, I, I listened again, going back to Promoter 101, um, I can't remember who they were speaking with, but it was a person who deals with a- AEG who's promoting the current tour. And she was talking about uh, talking with uh, the Stones, and specifically she spoke with Mick quite a bit. He was very much involved in planning and what they were doing. Um, was he involved when you were working uh, with them? Well, I didn't deal with him. You know, I, I dealt with uh, Concerts West. Mm-hmm. No, with John Meglin. Right, okay. Right. So this is more on the uh, promoter side than... Yeah. Okay, than interesting. Okay. Well, we have to wrap up, Marcy, yes. well, Alan. thank you so much. This has been great. We so thank fun. you. Yeah. Thank it you. It was very- excellent. Thank you for the invitation. And went right by. Yeah, this was fast. <laughs> You're a brilliant woman. We appreciate that. And a very good Thank cab you. driver. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and you're a great cab driver. Yes. We hope you parked parked it well. Right. <laughs> My side hustle. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Between right. that and uh, drive, that's how you get back and forth. You say you live in planes. It's actually the cab. Right. Now we yeah. know the truth. Now we know the yeah, truth. Now we just need a flying cab between Nashville and New York. I'd be happy. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Marcy. Yes. 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 Thanks again. Thank you. Talk to you Have soon. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Well, there we go. I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was very. Um, no, I think brand. You know, branding. Everybody knows that artists are connecting with different brands, but I don't think too many people really um, see how intricate it can be. It's just, it's not just, you know, Pepsi called me, and we said sure, and uh, now we're doing a deal, and that's it. But it's very, very, very involved, and it has to do with timing, has to do with term, the length of the deal, has to do with where they think that artist uh, audience is. Uh, it's a very complicated, uh, you know, venture. But it's certainly, I mean, it's at one point three billion now, and I think still, Pepsi Cola is the number one brand with music, hmm. uh, and they've been for a few years. Right. Uh, but more and more brands you see are tagging along. Now, does an R. Kelly help? Does, uh, you know, I mean, they, they uh, I think they're being more conscious with the Me Too movement and the R. Kelly's and uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein out there and all that. They're being certainly more careful than in the past. Uh, and that can only be good for the real, true, you know, honest artists. 
that was an interesting aside. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know where you were going with that for a moment. You're, so you're saying R. Kelly is hurting, could hurt brands wanting to deal with musicians. I'm saying that the brands are now being more particular because of the Me Too movement and the. You think that's true? You're you're, you're yes. guessing. No, I think yes, I'm guessing, but oh, okay. not. That's an educated guess. It's not. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who's going to win the World Series this year. That's well, that's the that's mess. guessing. Yeah, well, that's truth. The mess. but uh, no, right. Well, spring break starts next week, Dr. Esteban. Oh, my goodness. What are we doing? Uh, Tahiti. All of us, four of us to Tahiti. Ah, the show's going to be live? in From Tahiti on the beach. Yes. Good. And, um, yeah, Teresa's going to host it. So thank you, Teresa, for volunteering right. to host the Music Bits 101 more live from Tahiti. Next week, we're going to have a pre-recorded show. Jordan Chalmers from Atlantic Records, who I you mentioned a while ago. About him, you did. I? You referred to him I couldn't in the remember. past tense. I couldn't remember. We had uh, a guest, Glenn Barrows from uh, Concord, was going to be our guest on March 20th. He Oops. cannot do it, so he's going to do it in April. Uh-huh. And we are getting somebody else from the Concord label group to actually take his spot, a president of one of their labels. So oh. waiting for the hope was that we would have confirmation as we were on the air. It didn't come through. So we're going to have that. Then Mike Green, who's the head of digital for ADA, is going to be here on March mm-hmm. 27th. And we would urge all of our listeners, listen to the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, MusicBiz101WP.com, iTunes, and just look up MusicBiz101 and more. We've got a whole bunch of great people to talk to, including... Dr. Esteban Marconi. Dr. Esteban Marconi, thank well, you for being here tonight. Thank you very much. And my co-host, of course, always gives me credit. But without my co-host, what would this show be? Boring. And then we have Ashley Veltner. Ashley behind yes. the microphone, but not speaking. We like that. And we want to thank Teresa Abu Daoud. Was that, right. was that good? Yeah. I was right. Teresa's here. Very good. Our hardcore, awesome freshman of the year. Freshman of the year. So thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank what you. are we doing this? Um, Going to Sony Music on Friday. Friday. We're taking yeah. a... I, I told our buddy Paul Sinclair from Atlantic that we're going to Sony. I said, um, let's see if it's as good as when you have Brand a X, you told yes, him. Exactly. Yes, huh? That's right. So thank you very much for listening. We want to thank all the listeners for listening because that's what they do. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. Ashley, would that be silly? Yes, it would, as she nods her head and says, why are you still talking? So at the end of every show, we do not say hello. At the end of every show, we scream at the top of our lungs so that it's heard from between here and Saskatchewan, Tennessee. Adios! Yeah.